Hello and welcome to another episode of Victor's Corner. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, one half of the Codex Prime podcast, and today is Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. Yes, I am here once again. I am holding it down. This is a solo mission this week as my co-host Carl is just chilling out, leaning in the cut, you know, living his life. Uh, hopefully he will be back next week. But... Um, since this week, uh, you it's just you and I, so thank you for tuning in. Um, right now, I'm just waiting for peeps to come into the chat. Uh, for today's episode of Codex, for, of Codex Prime's Victor's Corner, ah, I see what I did there. I, it's a nice little, uh, you know, segue, I guess. Um, I'll be getting, I'll be reviewing uh, the third and final season of one of my favorite shows of the last three years, Pose which is this week's Zoom background, as you can see for all of our uh, listeners tuning in or viewers tuning in. Um, I'll, I'll also be reviewing In the Heights, which is one of the newest films that hit theaters as well as HBO Max. And I'll also be getting into uh, the first uh, couple episodes of Loki, which dropped on Disney Plus a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, before we get started... Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just glad to be back, you know, once again, you know, doing this Victor's Corners thing. You know, the the podcast we've been doing it for uh 5 years now and you know, it was great to see Aris and Maurice, you know, back into the fold, you know, joining us for the uh for their a guest appearance uh, last for uh, 2 weeks ago. So shout outs to Maurice and Aris uh once again for, you know, reuniting with us um a couple couple of weeks ago. We hope to get you back. Uh, on the podcast for another episode, you know, for more uh, shenanigans as we are want to do. Um, we also have uh, some other guests that we would like to, you know, bring into the fold as well in, in future episodes. So definitely keep tuning in. You know, we always have that that nerdy goodness and magic and that unique, you know, you know, our unique our unique take on things as you know we at the Codex Prime podcast are want to do. And while I'm in a shout-out given mood, uh, shout-outs to uh, your boy Ed at Figueroa from Gamer Delphia and the Party Nerds for joining us of last week's episode to talk about E3 2021. Um, please check out last week's episode if you want our, our take on uh, this week's showcase. And I see that uh, some people are uh, sharing the episode. I'm willing to bet that it is my co-host Carl Bird who is doing his... Uh, duty to share the episode as our social media chair so while while the episode is being shared uh right now uh let's we'll, we'll get into the proceedings so one one thing that i want to get into is one of my favorite shows of the last three years like i mentioned earlier and i gotta say fx shout outs to fx networks because they always bring some unique and memorable television um and man this show is no exception the category is greatness y'all the category is awesomeness the category is live work pose as i pose like randy orton on the turnbuckle but um <laughs> but yes um Pose just wrapped up its third and final season a couple of weeks ago. 
Uh, this season w- was originally slated to be released last year, but because of COVID-19, filming was delayed until late last year. So now uh, all all eight episodes are available to watch. Um, watching Pose season three, man, I got to say this, this is how you wrap up a series. Um, shout outs to the creators of this show, first of all, Ryan Murphy brad falchuk and stephen canals as well as one of the uh, directors and writers of the show for several episodes for episodes janet mock shout outs to them first of all because man what they what they delivered through pose was more than just a television show it was a show that was by its very existence and by its very nature a statement it was a statement in several ways. One, a statement that really sh- that really illustrates the importance of having, you know, underrepresented voices not only in front of the camera but also behind the camera. So you have underrepresented voices, like in this case, in the LGBTQ community, more specifically the trans community and and the gay community, really telling their stories in their own words, and and really and really giving us some some unique memorable television with some fantastic characters and a, and a wonderful cast um i i gotta say man this this season of pose it really brought the heat in terms of you know character development in terms of um emotion uh and, and also and also just just wonderful just wonderful character uh moments here and there uh I won't run down the whole season in its entirety, but I do want to highlight a few key episodes that really stood out for me in this season. One of the episodes that stood out for me was the third episode in season three of Pose, which is titled The Trunk. And for those of you who are fans of the show, one of the most striking characters in this series is Electra. Electra Abundance, played by the one and only Dominique Jackson, and and you know Electra is this is this woman who's very who's just very sharp, just very uh, cutting. She knows how to read a bitch from top to bottom. She she's not afraid of defending herself. She she has this uh, cold, calculating exterior, at least on the surface. But then she does have a heart of gold underneath all of that armor that she's built for herself. And when you see her character uh, from the first season onwards, where she she kind of seems to be positioned as a as the antagonist or the villain of sorts, at least in the early episodes. As the series progresses, you do see more of you know her story and how she carries herself and why she carries herself the way she does, and how it has protected her and how her how her demeanor has been you know her number one defense and has made the difference between life and death and so in this third episode of the third season called the trunk you do see her backstory and it goes all the way back to 1978 and uh and it moves through the early to mid 80s where you see electra's origin story where you see her you know working as you know a lady of the evening among the in the piers of new york city you know on the waterfront you know, you know, you know, getting money from John's and whatnot, you know, doing what she does. And then you see her fraught uh, relationship with her mother, 
um, who who does not like the fact that she is a trans woman, who keeps dead naming her, you know, keeps referring to her by her, her former name, Dwayne, and and she has all and you know, Electra, she always has these like um, all, these elaborate fashion elaborate you know outfits like you know furs and you know minks and all this and so when she comes home in this episode you know her mother's sitting up sitting up late at night waiting for her they have it out and then uh and then you know her mother takes all of her her outfits even takes her wig throws it stuffs it in this trunk and locks it up and says that you know what if you're gonna live in this house then you know what you're not gonna you know you're not gonna be you're not going to be what you think you are, you know, you're going to be who I say you are. And so you see, you see the origins of like how, of how Electra, Electra's humble beginnings, and you see how ultimately she has to escape that situation. And then, you know, re rebuild herself from the ground up and become this, uh, this cold, uh, and really, um, strong and calculated woman that she does become. And, and one of one of the one of the um, uh, moments in in the episode that really stood out for me was where she where she and Blanca, uh, played by M J Rodriguez, they return to uh, uh, Electra's childhood home, and she and she's obsessed with getting her trunk back. So she they break into her mother's house, they actually get her trunk, and then as they're walking out, the mother you know wakes up and then she realizes who 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 it is, and then all of a sudden you see. And then uh, you see uh, Electra. She reverts back to her Trinidadian and Tobogan accent to let her mother know who she is. And then they have like their fraught reunion. And then, and then ultimately, ultimately, that's where Electra, you know, officially completely asserts herself in front of her mom and decides to leave and strike it out on her own while taking this trunk with her. And then throughout that episode, you do see the significance of that trunk as well and for those who and, and if you've seen uh the previous two seasons of pose you definitely know why that trunk is so significant as well so that was so that was one uh episode that really uh really stood out for me too but for me um another excellent episode was episode four which was entitled take me to Ch- take me to church and one of the great characters in the show pose is billy porter who plays the MC? Pray tell, uh, who's the MC of all the balls, you know, and um, and and he's a close friend of you know Blanca, and this in this in this episode he comes out of rehab because he's really going through alcohol you know issues, and he comes home to like rural I think rural Pennsylvania that's where uh, he his childhood home is. And when he comes home to his mother's house, you, 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 we get blessed with not one, not two, but three awesome cameos. So Pray Tell's mother is played by Anna Marie Horsford, who, who you may know as, you know, Craig's mom from the Friday movies and as well as uh, Dee from the Wayans Brothers uh, show. So she plays uh, Pray Tell's mom. And then, you, then you're introduced to Pray Tell's aunts, one played by the great Jack K. Harry. Jack A. Harry, are from Two Two Seven Fame and Sister Sister Fame, and the great Janet Hubert, the original Aunt Viv from The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Just seeing these three women um, playing Praetel's uh, matriarchal uh, uh, figures, man, it really it brought a huge grin to my grin to my face, man, because that was like some real black royalty, black acting royalty right there on screen. 
And in this episode, uh, what was also great about it is that it really illustrated Pray Tell's, um, uh, and, and by extension, you know, the the same the same uh, situation that that I'm sure many you know LGBT uh, uh, peers uh, go through with the church, where you know their their identity, their their sexuality, their you know who they are clashes with the church and 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 their faith and so this is very much true for pray tell where pray tell he comes home to his mom and his aunts and he reveals to them that you know he's dying of aids and he doesn't have he's not long for this world and he's just trying to you know you know tie up loose ends before he goes and um and you know there's a scene where his mother is upset and uh and ultimately they have to her and her and pray tell have to uh, have a you know, sort of a you know, come to Jesus moment where they have to confront many of uh, the demons that you know, pray tell had to deal with as a kid. Something, some things that you know, no child should ever have to deal with in the form of abuse. Abuse that his mom, you know, turned the other, turned the, a blind eye to. And then you had uh, um, Janet Hubert's character, who was like the conservative religious aunt. It's like, oh well, oh you have AIDS. Well, you know, basically blaming him, you know, and his so and his quote unquote lifestyle for you know his 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 situation. But then you have Jackie Harry's character, who's the loving aunt who immediately embraces pray tell and says hey you know what i wasn't always there for you but now that you're here i'm going to support you every step of the way just tell me what you want me to do i will be there for you and so and so she becomes that that vital rock that uh pray tell needs and and when and as the episode progresses you see pray tell revisit his childhood church uh where he you know where he grew up and where he you know experienced his first love uh, by this uh, by this other guy named Vernon, uh, who was a former lover of his when they were in high school. Now Vernon happens to be the new pastor of their church, and and even more bizarrely, Vernon is also married to this woman named Ebony, played by Michelle Hurd, who was also a childhood friend of Praytell's. And you know, and as they were kids, you know, Ebony was very well aware. Of you know, pray tells and uh, and Vernon's relationship, and you know, despite knowing the fact that you know her husband is gay, you know they have two kids together. But you know, the fact is, her husband Vernon is still gay and is still basically living a lie, hiding behind his position as the reverend. You know, saying that oh, I quote unquote overcame you know those those uh that that de- those so called demons, and you know I'm on the straight and narrow. And pray tells like. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. You're you're still the same. You're still the same man that that I know, and you're just hiding behind, you know, this family to disguise, but just to disguise who you really are. And so, through their relationship, the the the, the show and the episode really explores that clash, uh, that conflict between you know one's faith, one's Christian faith in this case, and one's you know LGBTQ identity, their sexuality, if you will. And so I thought that was such a well done episode, especially the the uh, climactic scene where Pray Tell sings uh, uh, in the church, and he has this beautiful and just whoa, this heart wrenching solo on stage on the pulpit. And what really made that uh, scene stand out for me was that you know in real life Billy Porter did recently disclose that he is HIV positive and has been living with HIV for for a number of years and when you see 
uh, Pray Tell's his character Pray Tell, who is dying of AIDS, and when you see him singing on the stage, like man, I felt it. Man, I really felt it, man. Like like he has such a powerful voice, and all the emotion is just just is just just pours out like on the stage and on the screen to the point where you know on the one hand it's not just Billy. Uh, Porter playing Pray Tell. You're not just seeing the character. You're seeing, you know, Billy Porter, the man himself, you know, you know, unleashing his his full strength and and all of his emotions to, uh, on the stage and on the screen. And and man, it, you can actually YouTube that scene too. Like man, because it, it is really powerful stuff, and it really it really uh, uh, t- uh, floored me in, in a major way. So that was a standout episode right there too. And also, um, one more standout episode uh, in 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 season three of Pose is the fifth episode called "Something Old, Something New," where you see the the wedding, the wedding of Angel, uh, played by India Moore, and Poppy, uh, uh, her her boyfriend turned fiance turned husband, uh, played by, and I want to get his name, if uh, played by Angel Bismarck Curiel. And man, I gotta tell you, this when I when you when I saw uh, Angel and uh, Poppy, uh, you know, at the altar, pray tell is the one you know uh, officiating the proceedings, and when Angel reads her vows, man, I had a tear. I had a tear just well up, and I the the, the tear started flowing. The tears started flowing because when you when I saw, you know, Angel profess her love and you know, that's a Poppy and man, it, it was really powerful stuff. And then when you and then Poppy in turn, he actually sings, uh, the lyrics to the classic All for One ballad, I swear. And and then he he sings it to her and then and it becomes this like this huge swelling. A musical number that you would see in a romantic comedy film or a romantic film but but and but here it's just played so earnestly and just so full of joy and love that i was crying throughout this man because when he starts singing you know i swear you know from the you know from the moon and the stars in the sky i'll be there and i swear like the shadow that's by your side I'll be there for better or worse till death do us part. I'll love you with every beat of my heart. And I swear. Shoot, man. Yo, I was crying, man, because that that was that was love. That was love right there. And man, that 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 was that was such a beautiful moment. And what made that scene even more beautiful was the intentionality behind it where you had all of these uh, uh, these trans women um, that were part of their you know ball ball culture community um, they're all dressed in wedding wedding gowns as well and the significance of that uh, as Electra explains is that you know you know this is the first time at least in the universe of pose where all of these trans women get to see one of their own one of their own members of their community actually tie the knot and you know, and and it's not just about Angel and Poppy. It's about you know sharing that same joy for all other you know trans women who may not get that chance to you know have that you know marital bliss. You know, because especially the fact that this season takes place in the '90s, from '94 to '98, 
where you know don't ask don't tell and was in full swing and you know gay marriage was banned you know this was like the, their, the the closest thing that they could have to that so you know seeing seeing that visual was was quite powerful all of the women in their wedding dresses you know watching you know one of their own tie the knot um and i gotta say too man uh an- another another standout is um this actor jeremy pope who plays uh, uh, this uh, this guy named Christopher, who happens to be a doctor and who happens to be uh, Blanca's new boyfriend? And man, their their, their connection, their, the love that they share, it's like yo, you know, get you get yourself a partner. If you're fortunate to find yourself a partner that looks at you the way that uh, Christopher looks at Blanca, you've got it made. You've truly got it made. But yeah, man, this this episode made me cry, um, made me cry happy tears because it, it was just such a beautiful moment. And man, just just so well done, just absolutely well done. And and I see and I see Gary Threat in the chat. Welcome, sir. He's saying thanks for covering this show. I'm so sad it's over. Talk it, Vic. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah, I'm sad that it's, I'm sad that the, that the show's coming to an end as well. But um, but man, uh, I I gotta say, like I I really I really loved this show. I loved Pose. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, if, if you've if you've seen past episodes in the last few a couple of years since the show came out, you know, you saw me, you know, doing a few, you know, voguing uh, on camera and all this, you know, in in in, <laughs> in celebration. But but man, um, yeah, this isn't this isn't this is an excellent series. Pose is 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 an exceptional uh, series as well. And and even though I am sad too that that this that the show has come to an end, the fact that we have three complete seasons, it feels like a trilogy. It feels like a trilogy, beginning, middle, and end of these characters. It's it's a great mixture of of celebration of of joy, but also pain. You also get uh, uh, some bit. You also get fair bits of tragedy, but you also get uh, an abundance of triumph as well. And so, I give all the flowers to this cast. You know, and I'm and you know just shouting them down like M J Rodriguez as Blanca, Dominique Jackson as you know Electra, Billy Porter. Pray tell India Moore as Angel Evangelista, Ryan Jamal Swain as Damon, who unfortunately had to leave the the the, the series early in this season because of a, a real life family tragedy. Unfortunately, um, oh, the the great Haley Sahar as Lulu Evangelista, oh, such a beauty. Um, Angelica Ross as Candy. I'm glad that we saw you know her make a final appearance. Angel Bismarck Curiel as Poppy. Uh, Dylan Burnside as Ricky. Yo. Yo, man. I'm, oh, yo, I'm, about to, I'm fighting back tears here. Ricky, just seeing his story, how his story wrapped in this. I won't say anything more. I won't say any more, but Ricky, man. I haven't, I haven't, man, I haven't been hit in the gut by a Ricky on TV since Ricky from Boys in the Hood. <laughs> Let me tell you. And of course, uh, last but not least, Sandra Bernhard as Judy, the the nurse that uh, that Blanca uh, works with as well. Such an amazing cast. Give this cast their flowers. Give them all the Emmy nominations, especially 
MJ Rodriguez, Dominique Jackson, India Moore, Billy Porter. Yo, give these folks their flowers. Man, and 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 and, F, and kudos to FX. Take a bow for for giving us such a wonderful show. And and I really hope that we do see more shows like Pose. And also, I do hope that we do see uh, this this cast, you know, be featured in in more high profile uh, projects in the future because this is such a talented cast of actors, and I really would love to see where they go from here uh, because man, it's just such an abundance of talent, and you know, you know, the sky's the limit. So again, Pose, you know, three seasons of great television. If you if you're not if you don't know now, you know. Please watch it. So yeah, just had to had to had to get on the had to get on the post pulpit for for, uh, uh, for for a minute there. Um, and uh, while we're while we're speaking about um, you know representation in in, in in on screen, let's talk a bit about uh, this next film, which is uh, which is playing in theaters now, and is also available on HBO Max until July I think July twelfth or July thirteenth. It's only there for thirty days on HBO Max. And this is the musical In the Heights, In the Heights, which is based on the 2008 Broadway musical uh, by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Chiara Allegria Hudes. Uh, This film is directed by John M. Chu, who directed Crazy Rich Asians. And this film stars uh, has a has a all star has a star star studded cast um, uh, from from the Broadway stage, especially if you're a fan of of uh, Hamilton, which is a brilliant musical, by the way. Uh, In the Heights, the film stars Anthony Ramos, Melissa Barrera, Leslie Grace, Corey Hawkins, Olga Merides, Jimmy Smits, Gregory Diaz, Daphne Rubin Vega, Stephanie Beatrice, and Dasha Polanco. Such a, a great cast of uh, Latino or Latinx uh, actors and actresses in the mix, and so uh, in the Heights, it's a musical which uh, which was shot uh, which takes place and was shot on location in uh, the Washington Heights neighborhood, which is uh, the uh, produ- which is a predominantly Dominican uh, Afro Latino neighborhood in Upper Manhattan in New York City, and so. In this in this film, in the Heights, it follows a it follows a group of characters that all of whom have their own have their own different aspirations. They want they have their own dreams for you know bettering themselves, you know, and, and wanting and wanting more for their lives. And so you have uh, one of the main characters uh, uh, named Usnavi Usnavi de la Vega, played by Anthony Ramos, and he's a uh, he's an owner of this bodega, and he. And uh, he's trying to he's actually trying to purchase uh, his late father's business, which is located in his uh, in his home of uh, DR. And he wants to go back to the, to the Dominican Republic so he can run that business uh, once he's uh, once uh, the you know, all the paperwork has been fully processed. Uh, you also have. Um, let's see. Who else? You also have uh, Melissa Barrera as Vanessa. Uh, Vanessa, who happens to be like his um, uh, his crush, like his 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 you know his neighborhood crush, and you know she's like an aspiring fashion designer, and she's trying to she has dreams of living in a in a more upscale neighborhood, so she can you know just live it up and you know make make it on her own using her creativity in the fashion scene, so she can you know better herself. 
um every time she appears uh you know usnavi appears uh, you know it comes off as you know, really tongue-tied he can't really express how he really feels about her you know much to her chagrin you also have Corey hawkins as benny who's this um this dude who runs this um this uh, taxi uh, dis- dispatch uh, office uh, in in one of the corners of Washington Heights, and he works for Jimmy Smith's character, uh, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, who's uh, who's this uh, who's this, who's this owner of this uh, this cab dispatching business, who's kind of sort of down in his luck. He's trying he's trying to scrape some money enough money to be, uh, because his daughter uh, Nina, played by Leslie Grace, is actually uh, attending Stanford. And Stanford is, you know, mighty expensive. And so he's got to find ways to, you know, get, uh, cover the cover her tuition. And so all of these characters collectively, they all have, you know, dreams of bettering themselves, dreams of, you know, bigger aspirations for themselves. Um, yep. And I see and I see AK in the chat, Aaron Ferguson. What's up? What's up, man? Uh, it says, dude, who played Dr. Dre from Straight Outta Compton. That's right. Dr. Dre himself was in In the Heights in the form of Corey Hawkins. Um, I, I, I gotta say like, you know, as, as a fan of musicals, I, I thoroughly enjoyed in the Heights. I really loved, um, the mix of, you know, of, you know, of, of Latin inspired, uh, of the Latin inspired melodies with, with hip hop and just how it was such a wonderful blend, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, he does have a gift of, you know, of, of using hip hop in such a malleable and such a uniquely creative way that if he gives you something like super memorable like on stage especially in the form of hamilton if you haven't seen that that is a brilliant work of art uh, in the heights is 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 also pretty remarkable um and and all of them from all the musical numbers to to seeing how the characters you know um sort of um navigate uh, navigate their own individual situations and even though they all have their individually have their own things going on uh they all they all they all in a way look out for each other as a community um because you know they're they're they're, they're supporting each other they're supportive of each other and you know they, they root for each other as they're also you know trying to make the most of their their individual situations and yes i agree ak it is time to give jimmy smith's his flowers yo jimmy smith's is a He's a terrific and I dare and I dare say rather underrated actor and I feel and I feel that that's that's a little strange to say about Jimmy Smith because you know he was he was in one of the most popular shows of the 90s like over 25 years ago at NYPD Blue um but you know I would say like one of one of my favorite Jimmy Smith's performances was his turn in I believe it was the season season 3 of Dexter where he played the the main antagonist of 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 that season Yo, Jimmy Smith's man, he knows how to bring it. And I got to say I really did enjoy, you know, his his small turn as Bail Organa in the Star Wars prequels, which was, you know, a genuinely bright spot in in in, those, in that in that trilogy of films. Um but yeah, man, In the Heights, um as a fan of musicals, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I was I was like I was pretty much it pretty much put a smile on my face from uh from ear to ear. Um I really loved uh just how ultimately just how uplifting um it, it really was and it, it it was like a really sunny it was a, a really sunny spot uh in 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 you know in such a in, in such dreary real life circumstances even though you know things are beginning to brighten you know in real life you know that the, the pandemic is you know getting a little bit better you know but um in the heights is also an ideal summer film you know being that it takes place in the summer 
and you you have this film uh which was shot on location in in washington heights you know it's it's you know it's also a next best thing as well you know um so you you can actually you know see washington heights without actually you know sweating your balls off you know walking down up and down the the sun-baked uh sidewalks of of the of the hood um but i will say you know as as i mentioned in my pose review how representation matters um as as representation was given was you know given such top priority in pose and was delivered and was delivered properly i did i did i did come across some review some reviews which which justifiably uh called out in the heights the film for uh presenting a um shall we say inaccurate portrayal of washington heights um you know washington heights you know it's it's you know there's a lot of you know uh afro latino people a lot of dominicans puerto ricans a lot of dark but more specifically a lot of dark skinned you know afro latino people as well but if you're not familiar with the neighborhood um you wouldn't know that if you're watching if you're watching washington heights turns out that the film does engage in colorism and and you know prior to watching this film i had no idea that this was a huge issue in the film it wasn't until i started reading reviews that i'm like ooh, that oh man that is a huge oversight and 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 to his credit lin-manuel miranda did did issue out an apology you know you know for you know for for you know perhaps unintentionally perpetuating uh classism by showing by portraying a Washington Heights as as being populated by mostly or primarily fairer skinned or lighter skinned, you know, Latino people, whereas in real life it's the complete opposite. You know, I, I think about I think about it like you know, it's like if because I because you know I you know I'm you know Codex Prime, we're based in Providence, Rhode Island. It's like if you made a musical about Broad Street in Providence, Rhode Island, Broad Street, South Providence, and and your musical consisted of nothing but fair-skinned, you know, light as a sheet of paper Latino folks. You're going to be if you're going to if you're a, if you're a lifelong Providence resident, you're going to sit there watching it's like did they did y'all do any research whatsoever? I mean, huh? What? So I definitely understand the 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 criticisms and critiques that are that have been issued uh in regards to In the Heights. Again, I will say I did enjoy the film as a musical and as a story, but at the same time, uh, the fact that it does engage in colorism, it does it does take it down a, a few notches. Um, on the one hand, I, I I thought I thought it was I thought it was awesome that we did that we did see some cool, uh, some 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 great um, Latino representation, Latinx representation, but on the other hand, said Latinx representation wasn't accurate. Uh, to the setting so so you know that that's also a great example of how you know even though you may have you may introduce a film or a project that that does that does provide um you know representation to underrepresented groups if it's not if it's not an accurate portrayal of of a setting especially if that setting is inspired by a real life location then it shows that the creator's didn't really do their due diligence but you know that being said um I, I still think in the heights is worth a look especially if you're a fan of musicals um especially if you're a fan of this cast um but at the same time i do think that uh, many conversations should be had 
about you know the colorism that was in this film and i do hope that uh lin-manuel miranda and and other creators um in this film um do do take greater care in in presenting more accurate portrayals um, or accurate representations of of such real life settings like washington heights and and also deliver much more robust representation of afro-latino uh or dark darker skinned afro-latino peers uh on screen as well because you know unfortunately colorism is a huge issue uh, within the, within the latinx community as well so so for example if you've if you've watched any interviews by um the um actress and uh, reality uh, tv star uh, amara la, la negra um, she's she's spoken out about it about it multiple times as well. So so yeah, again, in the heights, well worth a look. It's an enjoyable musical despite its glaring flaws. Um, I do hope that uh, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda does take greater care in the future for more accurate uh, representation because we do need it. You know, we we ha- we've got great representation in Pose. You know, we've got great representation in, in other projects. Let's keep the train going. And you know, you know, mistakes will be made along the way. But as long as you learn from them and do better next time, then you know, then it's all to the good. So yeah, in the Heights, it's uh, in theaters now, and it's on HBO Max until July twelfth or or the thirteenth. So check it out if you have not. And next up, and this is a and this is a show that um, that I'm pleased to talk about uh, to give some space to um, Loki, Loki, which has made its debut on Disney Plus a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is the latest addition uh, into the Phase Four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or more specifically, the Marvel Cinematic Television Universe. First, we had the brilliant WandaVision. Then we had uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a.k.a. Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And now we have Loki, uh, which follows Tom Hiddleston's uh, titular villain, uh, uh, who who finds himself in a bit of a very interesting situation, a bit of a pickle, if you will. Um, Loki, it's created by Michael Michael Waldron. Uh, Michael Waldron is the creator of the show, and he's also uh, one of the writers of Rick and Morty, as well as the screenwriter for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, And he does flex his multiverse muscles in this show, in the first two episodes, as we've seen. Um, and yes, I agree. AK Loki is fire. It is hot fire. I give it. Um, it's it's Dylon, 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 Dylon. The all all of the episodes of Loki uh, will be directed by Kate Heron, and the musical score uh, was produced by Natalie Holt. And I gotta say, real quick, um, and and I know Carl is probably rolling his eyes if he's hearing this, but the MCU does have an issue with with issuing forgettable musical scores in many of their films. Um, um, the rare, with exceptions, Black Panther by Ludwig Göransson, which won the Oscar for Best Original Score, is is a, is one exception, and uh, Loki is also an exception as well. I didn't, I really did enjoy the score in uh, in, in this show. It really does stand out, and I do want to listen to more of it as the series progresses. Um, but yes, we have Tom Hiddleston in the show, rep- reprising his role as Loki. We also have a wonderful cast with uh, Gugu Mbatha Raw. As Ravana Renslayer, um, who's who's the one of the heads of the Time Variance Authority. More on them in a moment. You also have Wunmi Mosaku 
as Hunter B15, uh, Eugene Codero, Tara Strong, Owen Wilson as Mobius M. Mobius, and Sophia Di Martino as The Variant. More on her in a moment. So the premise of this show, Loki, um, you have uh, the, you have the main villain who who finds himself uh, apprehended by this cosmic organization called the, the TVA or the Time Variance Authority, and they're uh, they're this organization, they're this secret organization that they're essentially like time cops, if you will, and they travel back and forth through time to make sure that if there's anything that uh, b- that breaches off of the sacred timeline. Or in other, in other words, the the regular standard timeline that we all live in, or in this case, the MCU exists in. Any deviation from the sacred timeline, that's where the TVA steps in to rectify those deviations, and and to bring everything back to the nat- natural state of things, the natural flow of time. And so, um, if you if you recall in Avengers Endgame, we did see Loki die. At the hands of Thanos, but when the Avengers tra- when the Avengers traveled back to 2012 in the events of the Avengers movie, and once they once they apprehended Loki and the, and the Tesseract, when um when the Tesseract comes loose, Loki actually from from the 2012 Avengers makes his escape, and because that Loki makes his escape, that catches the attention of the Time Variance Authority because they're like, oh wait a minute, wait a minute, this this Loki is. He's he's he stepped out of bounds of the original timeline. We got to set this right, and so he's pursued and eventually captured by the TVA. And Owen Wilson's character Mobius uh, actually uh, takes a takes a certain shine to Loki. He's rather curious and intrigued by by this by this god of Asgard, and decides, you know what, I want to know what makes Loki tick. And since we we have the situation where we have this variant this mysterious version of Loki that's killing off TVA agents across time, maybe we can use Loki to help us get to the bottom of this mystery. And so, and so, um, and so you have uh, Tom Hiddleston, you know, working with Owen Wilson and, and company to, um, to travel back, back and forth through time to, to get to track down this other mysterious version of himself known as the variant. Um, First of all, I gotta say, <clears throat> and 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 I won't give any spoilers for those who haven't who haven't seen the show yet. Um, I gotta say, visually, from a vi- from a visual standpoint, Loki is tremendously gorgeous. Um, it really remind the the retro sixties and seventies setting. It really it reminded me a lot of the 2019 video game Control. Um, and if you're not familiar with the video game Control, it's not only an excellent video game, but it's also what, my favorite video game of that year. Um, in, in that game, um, you play the, the main setting of Control is this building called the Oldest House, which is, um, you know, they deal with the paranormal and it's filled with all of these um, uh, retro 1960s and 70s technologies from pneumatic tubes to like these old school CRT curved CRT monitors, and to like all of these old school like uh, panel computer panels full of like uh, uh, lit up switches and and bits and bobs. Um, and so the the, uh, the also the also like slide projectors, these monochrome monitors, and all this. It's it's a really striking uh, setting, 
and 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 also the color scheme, which is kind of like like all, from like the range is like flank like sort of like a desaturated like orange to like muted olive olive greens um and also like um the the wide shots of the tva headquarters which looks like which looks like a, a which looks like a 50s illustration of this of like a sci-fi city from a from a sci-fi pulp magazine man just it's just a visual feast and if you're a fan of that of that sci-fi retro style from the 60s and 70s and even the 50s then you're gonna have a treat uh with with loki just from a visual standpoint alone man i gotta i gotta you know give praise to to marvel um to the mcu uh, and the creators for really nailing that that period specific um visual style and and they've done such an amazing job so far with wandavision for example which really exemplifies their attention to to period details and so i really loved uh, that that retro, that retro uh, old school um, office uh, style that we do see that that aesthetic. Um, I'm also I'm also intrigued by uh, Owen Wilson's character Mobius, who uh, who 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 takes who takes a sort of like a, a, a curious shine to Loki, and is intrigued by his nature. And so, so judging from the two episodes the, the the show does seem to want to interrogate or really explore you know the nature of loki why does he do the things that he does why what what joy if any does he derive from being evil from being a villain you know from hurting and even even killing people so the fil- so the show really seems to want to you know dig into that and with and with this new variant uh, character, this new version of Loki, uh, played by Sofia Di Martino, it's raising a lot of tantalizing questions. Um, that that really that that really um, that that really makes me curious about where they're gonna take this the, the where they're gonna take this uh, Loki character. Um, it's. It, 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 it's, it's pretty it's pretty intriguing and also i really i really do like the cast i like the fact that we do have gugu umbatha raw and wumi Masaku uh in this show um these are two uh brilliant actresses um gugu umbatha raw she's in such she was in such films as uh, beyond the lights and bell and wumi Masaku she was recently uh in um his house which is what my favorite horror film of 2020 as well as lovecraft country and so seeing her seeing these two actresses in, in, in this show is, is just it's just so awesome because they're just so talented um I, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how loki also explores the multiverse um, because now you, i think because i think this is giving us this show is really giving us a, a tantalizing um preview is sort of wetting our appetites for dr strange in the multiverse of madness film and just seeing the seeds that's already being planted in this show in terms of like timelines in terms of like the tva man um it's it's I, i'm actually pretty excited and what, and what what's and what makes the tva the presence of the tva uh so welcome in the mcu is that I really love how the TVA is an example of how Marvel is willing, is much more willing to explore the weird, to explore the, the, the wacky, to explore the cosmic 
elements of the MCU more so than ever because now that they've already established their bona fides with all of the establishment heroes like Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Hulk, Black Widow, um, now Black Panther, now Marvel has a chance to be to take much more unique and much more creative directions. They have a chance to go full Gonzo, full weird. Um, the to to go like to to go at, to get as close as they can to like uh David Lynch territory if you will um i i think i think it i think it's pretty awesome that we're getting this weirdness uh, uh infused in the MCU and 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 seeing and seeing where Tom Hiddleston uh how he wraps up his character um i'm 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 looking forward to seeing how the show comes to an end uh, but also, like I like I mentioned earlier, Loki really does make me wants to makes me want to uh, play Control again because I just I just love the visual aesthetic of it, like I mentioned earlier. So yeah, just two episodes in, and I'm I'm fully hooked. I'm fully invested. You know, Marvel is so far it's two for two in comes of sh- when it, when it comes to their television shows, and with Loki, it's safe to say that they're going to be three for three. Um, and and if and if this, and and if and if this is any any, any indication of the future uh, uh, direction of the MCU, I'm all in. And yes, I agree. Ak, a, a David Lynch MCU project would be completely nuts in the best way. Like, yo, I want to see David Lynch take he and and David Lynch he does he doesn't have to take a, an MCU film. Although I would love to see that. You know, you know. I think you know Marvel has their show What If coming out. I would love to see David Lynch tackle one episode of What If, and he can take any any character from the MCU. I just want to see David Lynch's spin on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I I I, I want to see I want to see Marvel's version of Mulholland Drive, and I want to see Carl Bird's summary of Mulholland Drive's MCU. <laughs> I would pay so much money to see a Carl Bird summary of a David Lynch produced MCU film or show with all of the David Lynch weirdness and surrealism because Carl would be equal bits frustrated, befuddled, intrigued all at once. And I would pay good money to see him try to work his way to re- through reviewing such a project. So... You know, if if Kevin Feige can can link up with David Lynch, if they can come to terms on, on just like a just a one-off project, please, please bless the universe, bless us with a David Lynch MCU project. We want it now. <laughs> it would absolutely be insane, and I am here for it. But yes, Loki, um, two episodes in. Um, I think new episodes come out every Wednesday, I believe. So, yeah, man, it's it's definitely appointment television. So, I'm looking forward to seeing what episode three has in store. So, hopefully, it, uh, if Carl comes back for next week's episode, we can definitely talk uh, talk about it. Because um, I really want I do want to hear Carl's thoughts on uh, on Loki and what and what he thinks. Because I know he's a huge uh, Marvel, you know, aficionado and connoisseur. So I'm pretty sure that he's seen like. I'm pretty sure Carl has compiled a list of Easter eggs that he's noticed from like the word go. So I'm looking forward to seeing what his discoveries are. 
But yes, Loki, Disney Plus, Wednesdays, check it out. It's awesome. And so, uh, you know, segueing into the our final uh, bit of the Victor's Corner, um, in you know in you know previous Victor's Corner episodes uh, when Carl was on his hiatus. I did uh, introduce a new feature to uh, uh, the show called a Codex Retrospective, and the Codex Retrospective, I you know you know took a look back at some you know you know notable films, TV shows, video games, and other things that uh, that have come out in years past. Um, so so I'm actually bringing it back. So just to wrap up this episode, I'm going to bring back the Codex Retrospective uh, for the month of June, uh, for the week of June uh, 20th specifically. And, uh, you know, we're going to go back in the Wayback Machine and, you know, take a look back at this week in Codex Retrospective. Uh, In the Codex Retrospective, rather. So, here we go. So, we're going back in the Codex Retrospective to June 20th, 1997, which saw the release of Final Fantasy Tactics by Square uh, in Japan. So Square released Final Fantasy Tactics in Japan in June 20th, 1997. Uh, this uh, was also one of um, uh, final, the most popular games in a Final Fantasy genre using the strategy RPG genre, uh, which, has, which hadn't been used before in the Final Fantasy series. Uh, final Fantasy Tactics is one of the more beloved games in, in the Final Fantasy franchise. Um, I, me- I do remember playing uh, Final Fantasy Tactics at Tactics Advance when I had a Game Boy Advance, and I had, I had some fun with it. And I, I never I never completed the, ga- the game, but I really did enjoy the the mechanics of it. Uh, June twentieth, nineteen ninety six, saw the release of a of a of a unique first person shooter by id Software called Quake. And Quake it was one of the more influential and most popular first-person shooters uh, by the house that popularized the FPS genre, its software. Uh, when Quake came out, uh, Quake was initially uh, dismissed uh, by some reviewers as a quote-unquote Doom clone. Um, but, man, Quake really made its mark. And it, and it, it also um, uh, was ported to multiple systems like the N64. I think the PlayStation and, Saturn had, PlayStation and the Sega Saturn had their versions um, as well. Um, you can even download it as like a mobile game too. But Quake uh, definitely uh, took the Doom formula and turned it up another notch uh, when it came out. Uh, we're going back 21 years ago, June 22nd to 2000, when Ion Storm and Eidos released Deus Ex, uh, which is still considered one of the best PC games of all time. Um, now, I have, I have never played the original Deus Ex, but I am a fan of Deus Ex Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, both of which I have played. Um, a Deus, the Human, Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, those are, those are prequels to the first Deus Ex game. Uh, when Deus Ex came out, it was um, hugely influential in, in how it uh, approached the, the first-person uh, shooter genre. Um, you had like uh, multiple options and customization options uh, with your character and also how you engaged with mission objectives. So it wasn't just a run and gun uh, corridor shooter. It, you did you did have more to do with upgrading your character and also exploring other, you know, other um, other bits and bobs in, in its universe. <clears throat> 
We're going back uh, 30 years ago. Do you feel old yet? 30 years ago to June 23rd, 1991, when Sega released a little-known game called Sonic the Hedgehog. Now, Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, if you if you were a kid who grew up in the 90s, this was one of your childhood staples. Um, you know, I enjoyed Sonic the Hedgehog when I was a kid. I still maintain that Sonic the Hedgehog is the, the at least the, the least the the the, old, the the original games. I feel they're a bit over overrated because, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like you, you know, you're 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 Sonic the Hedgehog. You you got to go fast. You're zipping through levels. But, but when you didn't run, when you didn't, you know, speed through the levels, when it when the game slowed down, it was pretty clunky. Those games were pretty clunky platformers, and so like the the, the speed was the hook, and and yes, I know that it's that it's it's it is its appeal, but you know. I just felt that Sonic was a bit was a tad over, overpraised in my opinion. They're still they're still fun games. I still say they're good, the original ones anyway. Um, but you know, I'm I'm more of a Mario guy. If you had to if you had to Pepsi challenge it between Sonic the Hedgehog and Mario in terms of plat, in terms of like the greatest platformers of the '90s and of all time, you gotta go with Mario. I mean, it's it's really not really a contest. Uh, going back to June twenty third. 1996, Nintendo in Japan released the N64. Uh, yes, the N64 did make its release in Japan, and also in September of 96, uh, we also saw the release of uh, the N64 in North America. June 24, 2002, Nintendo releases the Silicon Knights developed Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem for, for the Nintendo GameCube. Uh, this makes it the very first mature-rated game uh, released by N- Nintendo. Very interesting fact. Uh, Eternal Eternal Darkness, Ascendancy's Requiem. I, I remember actually owning it for the GameCube, um, and I think to, in order to get the true ending, you you had to play through the game three times. I play, I played through the I played through the, the the game once, and I got like the first ending, and, and then I just stopped. Um, but it was it was a it was a mighty good game. Um, I really did like the uh eternal darkness uh gimmick where you had where you played as multiple characters across time across different eras and and it ha- and it had like the san- the sanity uh mechanic where if you came across these these demonic creatures your character would go insane or they would start to lose their mental health would start to slip and so like the game would actually glitch purposefully glitch or like your game will, or like your your screen will shut off, or you'll like your character will will hallucinate uh, sounds or visuals that aren't there. It was a really engrossing uh, mechanic, and I think that Eternal Darkness was was pretty underrated for its time too. I remember that it was originally slated for the N sixty four, but then after delay after delay, the game was ported over to the GameCube, where it did make uh, full. Uh, full use of its potential of its uh, of its mechanic but definitely that's the game that i would like to see revisited or rebooted at some point and shifting over to movies uh we have uh, four more here june 11th 1993 jurassic park makes its debut in theaters a classic uh by steven spielberg and still to this day the best jurassic park movie 
June 23rd, 1989, sees the release of Tim Burton's Batman in theaters. Michael Keaton, uh, Kim Basinger, Jack Nicholson. Uh, you gotta love it. I know, I know there are so many fans out there that want to see Michael Keaton reprise his role as Bruce Wayne for a possible Batman Beyond movie. You know, I wouldn't mind. I would like to see, you know, Michael Keaton as old Bruce Wayne. Um, that'd, be, that'd be cool. June 20th, 1975. Oh, we are going back a ways. Jaws makes its debut in theaters, another Steven Spielberg classic. And, you know, in, in Jaws is, is, is also a classic in that it has terrorized generations of, of people to this day. Um, to this day, like, you have people who are afraid of swimming too deeply in at beaches because they're afraid of sharks, you know, you know, you know, tearing them asunder. Um, you know, in real life, you know, great white sharks would never swim that close to a beach, but but you know, the 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 film had such a stranglehold on popular culture that it really did influence culture as a whole. Um, so that's the mark of a classic right there. And last but not least, to wrap up this week's Codex Retrospective, June 12th, 1981, sees the release of yet another Steven Spielberg classic, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, starring Harrison Ford. Um, what can you say, man? Uh, Indiana Jones is, is, is just an incredible adventure film. If it wasn't for Indiana Jones, we would not have Tomb Raider. We would not have Uncharted. Um, so you, we probably wouldn't have pitfall either. So, you know, you, you gotta, you, you, you gotta give it up to the, uh, uh, to, to Indiana Jones and, and Indiana Jones in turn was also, um, uh, a descendant of other popular pulp adventure, globe trotting adventure, uh, stories, uh, from, from decades past uh, as well. And yes, uh, Jaws did birth the summer blockbuster season between that and star wars in 1977 so yeah that wraps up uh this week's codex retrospective and this and now that also wraps up uh this week's episode uh for victor's corner uh once again thank you all for tuning in uh, uh for, um uh as we as we celebrate uh pose as well and loki um and also uh, give some respect to in the heights uh, despite its issues um do follow us on social media uh we are on codex prime uh, uh podcast at codex prime podcast on instagram as well as on twitter at codex prime cast um, you can also see all of our episodes uh live every tuesday evening around 8 to eight thirty ish uh p.m eastern standard time um you can also you, you can also um Listen to all of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, where you can hit us up with a five-star review, and pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. Also, iHeartRadio. Um, also, you can follow me on social media, at Victor Omoyo, both on Instagram and Twitter. And so, yeah, that that's pretty much all I have for this week. Once again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, Tune in, tune in next week where we will have more nerdy shenanigans, goodness, and magic on tap. And as always, I will catch you on the flip. Peace out, nerds.